When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later... The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it's just me again today. It's, it's James. I'm joined uh, by Eric Mesa, who will introduce himself in a second. And we're going to be discussing the environmental and, and, and human impact of the border policies in the, in the last decade or thereabouts, and to include the border wall. So, Eric, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, James. Of course, my name is Eric Mesa. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the Borderlands Coordinator for Sierra Club part of the Grand Canyon chapter based out of Tucson, Arizona, which is the unceded land of the Tohono O'odham and Pascoyaki people, and many other tribes that might call home. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, joining us. And that was a fantastic introduction. So, Eric, I think if we start out by just explaining um, what the border wall kind of looks like in the landscape and how it operates in the landscape, because uh, although it's something that you and I might see almost every day, for a lot of people, it's something that they kind of saw on the news three, four years ago, and then the news start reporting on it. So can you explain like the physical kind of stature and impact of the wall? Um, yes. Uh, well, I think for each person, it definitely takes into a with the perspective that they might have, you know, it definitely impacts people in a different way. Uh, but one thing that you can like notice as soon as you see it is how massive it is, how it just divides these uh, pristine, beautiful Sonoran desert lands and divides them on half. So that already uh, for us as an organization since the beginning and the conception of the idea of start walling all of these remote areas, uh, start looking at the environmental impact that such an action can have. So it's always really uh, hard to see and just to imagine and to think about all of the different things, not only people, but all the different movement that used to happen in these areas now has been completely interrupted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember 
in 2020, I was out in on, on Kumi Island in in a place called Campo, uh, filming a Kumi protest against the desecration of their sacred sites. By the, actually, I was writing for the Sierra Club, um, and uh, I saw a deer that day, like, and it just came up to the wall, and it was like, "What the fuck do I do? Like, this wasn't here last time I came here." And it was just this really. I don't know why. Obviously, the wall does horrible, cruel things to people every day, but. I don't know why it struck me at how unnatural and uh, unwelcome it was in that place, but it, it did. So I think maybe if we could look at these different, the, the wall spans a huge area and, and stops randomly throughout that area. So perhaps you could explain some of the ecological impacts, maybe if we start where you are in Tucson and then we move gradually west to, to where I am and the, the western end of it. Um, would that be a good sort of way to do that? Yeah, of course. Um, well, here in Tucson, our closest border is Nogales. And mm -hmm. once we started moving uh, east, or I'm yeah. sorry, west from there, the closest one right next to it's called Sasabi. And mm -hmm. as you mentioned, Nogales, there is big walls, and then soon it stops because then the terrain gets very uneven. There is a range of mountain called the Pajarito Mountains, which is one of the most biodiverse areas here in the southwest with some uh, endemic species of plants and animals, actually. Uh, thankfully, the wall stops there. And then there is uh, certain areas that there is a lot of unfinished projects, or we also call them orphan walls, like sections of the wall that never were completed, and they yeah. just stand there. Unfortunately, to get them up there, there was a lot of uh, impact to um, you, for example, they use dynamite to blow up entire mountain tops to get uh, equipment up there, and some of the cases without even constructing any wall at the end. So it's really unfortunate because a lot of the uh, debris that came out of these explosions right now is causing a lot of erosion issues, and it's like moving into those canyons and covering a lot of the vegetation that was there before. Um, then as you keep coming, passing through the Pajarito Mountains, then you get to the area called the Buenos Aires National Refuge near the town of Sasabe. And there is a large segment of a wall there with 26 gaps, uh, small gaps, big gaps, and all of these gaps have been there uh, since the beginning of the construction. Uh, CBP recently announced that they're going to be closing some of these gaps. Uh, they have been used by migrants a lot recently, uh, but in recent days, actually, the, the influx of migrants have definitely declined a lot, uh, different to what other people seen in other parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, but especially in this area in Arizona, we didn't see the huge amounts of migrants coming after Title 42. So once you pass that section, then you get to what's uh, the... Once you pass the Sasabe port of entry, then you enter the Tohono O'odham Reservation. Uh, Tohono O'odham decided that they didn't want a wall there and they fought for it and they didn't build a wall. And there is about, I'm not really sure about the number of miles. I think there is about 16 to 22 miles of just the land that only contains what's known as a vehicle barrier or Normandy barriers. Yeah, uh, these are made out of like uh, old train tracks, uh, which we really like uh, environmentally speaking because it allows uh, 
the movement of the animals and the flow of the water as well. Um, and then once you pass the reservation, then you go into Oregon Pipe National Park and then you start seeing more wall sections on areas like Quito Vaquito Springs, like a very important ceremonial site for the Tohono O'odham Sheraton people, and um, a lot of destruction on those areas, sacred sites as well. Mm -hmm. They are very cultural and important for the Tohono O'odham people, like Monument Hill, a burial site that uh, wall was built right on top of it. And yeah. just keep moving, and then you get to areas that are more remote until you get to Yuma. And, and then we have also uh, Cocopa Reservation there, that there is no wall. Uh, the wall exists just after the, the reservation. And there are some segments, I believe, that still have no wall in there. Recently, there was the action by the state governor to put shipping containers there. Mm -hmm. um, they were removed recently to be replaced with uh, the regular bowler type of ball, the wall that you see in other places. And yeah, you keep coming past Calexico and all those areas until you get to... Uh, uh, Kumeye land and the Yuma, uh, Otai mountains, and all the way to what's known as Friendship Park, uh, which mm -hmm. is a binational park located in the border with, between uh, San Diego and Tijuana, which is the last binational park or the only one that we have in the southern border. And now, as we speak, uh, new 30 foot walls are being built. Uh, in that area as well. So even so, uh, President Biden said that he was not gonna build more walls. We still see uh, new construction happening as we speak right now. Yeah, um, and we've had Friends of Friendship Park on on our show before, and, and I'm sure we will again, because they do very important work. And it's a very mm -hmm. important space for so many families who are divided by the border. Yeah. Um, so I think people, I guess, when we talk about ecological impact, people always like, um, they, people like big animals, right? Uh, and so the, the the charismatic megafauna, I guess that um, mm -hmm. that are impacted by this. So maybe that's a good way to look at this. I know that um, there are some jaguars, jaguars, whatever however you want to say that, that are impacted uh, in. It's my very British pronunciation. Uh, in Arizona, there are the bighorn sheep, uh, of course, who are closer to me, right near to Hakumba, where. Um, people will have heard the scripted series by the time this comes out, so they'll be familiar with Akumba. Um, can you talk about the impact of the wall on those sort of bigger animals? Absolutely. Yeah, that has been our main focus as an environmental organization. Since 2005, when the Real ID waiver came up, uh, signed by George W. Bush, as a response to 9-11 and the intention of secure the borders, the Real ID Act waived every single environmental law that we know, like uh, including the Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, the law that you can imagine, it's included. It's about 40 or more of these laws mm -hmm. uh, were completely waived in order to start building walls. We noticed right away that the first walls that started coming up, it was really easy for, for people to go over under cut through them or go around them. But then we start noticing that animals were not able to do that anymore. We start seeing 
and the impacts on some of the species that are super important. You gotta remember the species of the desert, uh, they need to cover large amounts of territories to find the resources they need to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about large migration routes that go from Mexico into the United States back and forth. And just to mention some of the species that are considered endangered uh, in the area of California, we got the bighorn sheep, and then you start coming and there's the Sonoran Desert pronghorn in the Desierto de Altar. Then we got jaguars in Arizona, we have also black bears. The thing that makes this area so special here in Arizona is what we have known as the Sky Islands, which is mm -hmm. our really high altitude mountains that you can find some of the species that come from the north. This is their southernmost territory. And some of the species from the south, this is their northernmost territory. So okay. species like jaguars can all of a sudden be drinking water out of the same pond with a black bear. Yeah. And that is very unusual and very rare and very uh, amazing, you know. So yeah. we also have ocelots, which is another type of cat that lives oh, yeah. here in Arizona. Uh, we also have the Mexican gray wolf, a species that is endangered that use these corridors back and forth. And unfortunately, uh, we haven't had uh, the opportunity to track properly a lot of these animals to recognize their migration patterns because a lot of these animals cannot be uh, put on a GPS collar, for example. But uh, what we have done is put a lot of cameras on the wilderness and we're able to photograph jaguars on this side of the border and photograph the same jaguar a few years later in Mexico or vice versa. So there is a lot of proof that all these animals have been using these corridors for thousands of years. There is plenty of evidence that the importance of these uh, wildlife corridors in the Sonoran Desert. And also we see, you know, like the, that with the construction of the border wall, a lot of the species that we used to see more often in the United States, we don't see as much anymore. Uh, animals have a memory, so when they come and all of a sudden see this really large obstacle, they're less likely to come back and try it again. And that can be a generational thing that they can pass it to future generations. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. 
the iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing that you mentioned there, which I think is something else we should stress, is like you spoke about how the jaguars and, and the bears can share the same pond, but the wall and the, the roads, we, we should mention that too, right? Like uh, people didn't just get helicoptered in to build the wall. They had to first build roads to get to the place where the border is to build the wall. Um, can we talk about how those have affected drainage and water sources along the border? Absolutely. Yeah, water is life. So in here in Arizona, for example, we have two rivers that actually flow north, the San Pedro River and the Santa Cruz River. These are rivers, that, for example, San Pedro is born in Mexico and the Santa Cruz comes in the United States and goes down to Mexico and then goes up again. And... A lot of the drainage, uh, that has been uh, one of the biggest issues that we have encountered because the wall acts like a dam almost. And in a lot of places, doesn't allow the water to flow as it used to. And that is going to bring an impact to all of the different species of animals, but also the plants that depend on this water to survive. So uh, when the construction of the border wall came, you mentioned roads and the road right next or adjacent to the wall. Mm -hmm. Now it's, it's, it's like a four or five line road in some places. And it's been also increased the elevation. Yeah. So when you increase the elevation on these roads and do not have the proper drainage on the areas that need to be, and then you're going to have water being stuck on one side or the other of the border and not able to make it to the areas where it used to flow normally. So we might not see the consequences in the first year or the second year, but we can start seeing consequences in a few years from now, several plants all of a sudden starting to die because they didn't have the water that their habitat used to provide for them. So that's why they grew there in the first place. So mm -hmm. we might see a lot of changes on the landscape in regards of the way that the water moves on those places. Yeah. So another thing I want to address is like the, we talked about plants, right? And a number of cacti, uh, specifically like cacti that are, that are sacred to, to Hornot and people have been 
either moved or destroyed in the in the construction of the wall around organ pipe and like just not on their reservation but very much on, on their unceded homelands right yeah yeah the saguaro cactus it is considered as a relative for the tohono otam so you can just imagine the the sentiment of of the tohono otam people by looking at the saguaros being chopped or bulldozed on these areas considered sacred for them so there was definitely a lot of uh that happening there is an effort but we haven't seen it yet it's just on uh on written right now that they're going to revegetate some of these areas that got impacted but we're still waiting for for that yeah and that stuff always comes like last and slowest mm -hmm. if it happens at all and i know like both the kumi the autumn i'm sure other uh, tohon autumn other tribes have had their their ancestral burial grounds as you mentioned uh destroyed and for a similar reason to the Real ID Act, I think it was different. I think this was because it was done under executive order and it was an emergency that they they waived a lot of those. Normally, they would have tribal nations would have the right to sort of inspect and, and do a uh, a survey before digging. But I know in twenty twenty they weren't they weren't doing that, right? No, they didn't. No, so uh, the Real ID Act also has a law there to protect. Uh, archaeological resources so they were able to do those things even when there was a, a if it was on federal land and it was a indigenous uh sacred site yeah so another thing talking of federal land that we should probably mention is this concept of uh, the roosevelt reservation that people might not be familiar with can you explain what that is to folks the Roosevelt Reservation, it is the area at the border, about 60 feet away from where the border uh, line or division is. And that's what's known as the Roosevelt Reservation. So that is an area that's uh, right now um, mostly uh, managed by CBP, Border Patrol. Mm -hmm. And people can't, it, it's like technically not, it, it it can't be private land, right? Or the government can take it at any point. Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I know that's what they were using uh, in, in the case of the uh, around Campo. Like mm -hmm. That's what that's what they were doing. Uh, one thing I think we've neglected to do, I guess, and I've, I spend half my life trying to do this, but uh, I'll let you take a swing at it. Is like, can you describe these desert landscapes um, for people who are? Because people think of the desert, right? And they think of Ossetia Wells, like where, where people like to go drive yeah. their, their vehicles, you know, and it looks like, uh, like, like Saudi Arabia. But that's not most of the desert. Uh, the desert is actually a very alive place and a place full of like life that has struggled and made a way to exist there. Can you explain? And it's a very special place, not, uh, not just sort of uh, because it's, it's unique, but it, it has a real sort of, well, yeah, it has a uniqueness that you can't really feel anywhere else in the world, I guess. Yes, thank you, James. I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, as a person that grew up here and had this deep appreciation for the desert environment, I think it's, um, it is such a beautiful area. And not only beautiful in the sense that uh, uh, it's the Sonoran Desert, for example, is considered the most biodiverse desert in the world. Oh, wow. So, well, yeah, so it's considered a desert because the amount of water that we have, but the amount of species, it matches no other desert in the world. Here we have the most species of plants, most species of animals, and 
only for people like and people goes out there sometimes on a hike on the desert and might not see much of the wildlife there other than the birds and especially on areas where there is a little bit of water but you got to remember also that the desert comes most alive at night so that's when all of the species you know that are not wanting to hang out in the heat of the desert <laughs> they come out and this place becomes like a whole other place at night so it is uh it is definitely worth protecting these uh, and every single desert, you know, because sometimes as we might not see the biodiversity in our first visit, it's there. And we like the amounts of plants and animals were enough to sustain entire populations of people as well in the past. So I think once you build that relationship with the desert and able to experience you and everybody that I have talked start developing this really deep appreciation for it, for sure. Yeah, uh, it sort of pulls you in once you once you yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, you become a desert person. Uh, we were talking about this at Kumba the other day. How like uh, you just turn into a desert. You know, you can see who the desert people are and who the uh, the people who haven't been out there before are. So obviously, the desert is a beautiful place and a very diverse place, but it's not a place that is necessarily easy to cross, right? And when we, as you've explained so well, there are, the wall is not a contiguous thing. It's full of gaps and holes. And, and a lot of the places where there are gaps are places where it's hard to build and therefore it's hard to cross. Can you explain what this, this it creates a funnel, right? Like a funneling effect through the gap sometimes. Can you explain what that means for people who are crossing north? yeah um that is uh there is a huge issue these funnels or areas where there are no walls because what's been happening and we observe uh is that as more people start going to these really remote areas of the desert we have two issues you know first people is putting themselves on bigger danger and they're more likely to uh get themselves hurt and some of them die so mm -hmm as also you start pushing up people to more remote areas out in the desert where used to be these nature pristine environments now we have the impacts of people moving through these areas and not only the impacts of the people but you got the impacts of border patrol patrolling the area with their trucks and dragging tires to erase their footprints and these are really fragile soils already opening new roads through the desert with atvs or flying helicopters on these mountains or drones or putting lights in the middle of on areas where it used to be one of the most darkest skies in the in the country so all of those put together create huge issues for people and the environment as well yeah, yeah. The, the the light thing you mentioned, like, is very. I don't know. People, uh, again, who haven't been to the desert won't understand how much more you can see when, like, there is no light for hundreds of miles. Mm -hmm. And there's a place I like to go, which recently got a border patrol like substation, and now it's mm -hmm. just like glowing, and you can't see the Milky Way and things. Mm -hmm. and in addition to the human impact, which, as we said, is terrible, right? Like, I think. 860 people border patrol found in 2022 had died crossing north that's a very low estimate for the amount of people who died um and you know, border patrol are kind of actively trying not to count all of the deaths um according to agents i've spoken to right so 
<laughs> this is a difficult topic because it's it's a, it's a horrible thing that like shouldn't happen. Um, but I guess can we discuss how lethal these the wall is for people crossing north? If you're comfortable talking about that, yeah. Um, well, definitely the design of it, like uh, on most of the places, is a thirty foot wall uh, mm -hmm. with a metal plate on the top, and this uh, for some. Uh, sources i have heard that it was designed because when people reach a 30 foot height they start kind of getting dizzy or uh nauseous so they're okay. more likely to fall down so it's already like a dead apparatus you know like mm -hmm. designed to kill uh still people will venture and give it a try some young folks are almost it's kind of funny to see them climb how fast they're able to yeah. do it but we got to remember that not only like uh, young folks are trying to climb, you know, sometimes there is a, a older lady or sometimes an older man that wants to give it a try. And the rate of injuries definitely has increased so much of people falling because they got dizzy or they got nauseous or they burn their hands or they uh, lost balance and then uh, fall from 30 feet high, you know, it can be lethal. So we have a lot of uh, broken legs, spine injuries, head trauma, people that has fall, uh, or people, one person one time hang up from it and end up choking herself. So there is definitely a lot of death when people try to go over the wall. But we also see people now just cutting through the boiler so it's easier and then just put the, the thing back so they there is all kinds of people doing it all different kinds of ways, depending on the area. And uh, we see uh, a little bit of everything for sure. Um, and of course, you know, if you try to reach for the gaps, then you have to do a longer hike. And usually uh, people is not even able to carry the amount of water that they need to do these kind of hikes. We got to remember that a lot of the people that we encounter now in the border, they come from other kinds of environments. They're not familiar with the desert. They come from tropical areas where they can find water everywhere. They, uh, they're not used to the heat of the dry heat of the desert. They're not used to the cold of the nights of the desert. So all of these factors make this environment really challenging for people uh, to try to cross it. Yeah. Retail in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, yeah, it's a very hard environment. Like I spend a lot of time camping in the desert and I like, I don't think there's a year that I've been hiking in the desert that I haven't rescued someone who was very well equipped and had just gone on a day hike, right? And they've mm -hmm. run out of water, they've overheated, they've drunk water and not electrolytes and they've got hyponatremia, whatever it is. Like, And that's people who went to REI the day before, let alone people who've been walking since Sudarian Gap or, 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 you know, people who are, much lesser means to, to equip themselves. It's a very dangerous environment. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. People may be listening and thinking, like, I think with immigration issues, um, and specifically with the wall and the border, it, it's such an apparatus, right? The whole, you know, DHS and its $175 billion budget is such, such an apparatus that people can feel powerless, uh, in trying to to put a stop to this, to make this change, to make this even, you know, a little bit more humane. It, it just so we seem to like ratchet up the evil uh, meter every year at the border, regardless of Democrats or Republicans, like it doesn't matter. What would you suggest folks listening can do to make it more humane, to, to, to advocate for uh, like even less impactful border policies on the environment or on people? Yeah, I think we need to look at what we have done so far and look at the results. You know, I think we can see that um, in some areas to build a border wall, uh, a mile of border wall, we're spending over $30 million. And I think it's important to think about what can we do with that money? You know, there is a lot of resources that we have used uh, for this uh, false sense of security that a border wall can give us. And it's just uh, not working the way it's supposed to be working. And it's putting a lot of uh, pressure on the environment. And if we really care about the environment, I think that should not be a afterthought conversation because 
I think when we listen to politicians and it's our next time to go out to vote, we need to really start asking the questions about the environment. I know it's important that we uh, we hear in the border narrative of politicians talking about immigration, border security, trade with Mexico, but there is very little talk in the border around the environmental issues, you know, and that shouldn't be an afterthought. Uh, border people, people that live in the borderlands also should have a chance to live on a, uh, on a good environment, a clean environment. Yeah. And yeah, so I think uh, a solution uh, or for people, things that they can do is definitely uh, like ask those questions when it's time to vote and see how can we really address root causes, you know, uh, the border wall is uh, just a medieval solution that it's really trying to stop such a uh, complex issue by doing that it's not it's not going to work out so it's uh, originally uh, border patrol said that the border wall is just the only intention it has is to slow down people for at least five minutes well is it really worth it then you know to slow them five more minutes to all these impacts and all these expenses that we're doing uh, and the maintenance that nobody has talked about yet is that we have sections of the wall already that they're falling apart because it was just thrown up really fast. You know, the erosion is already exposing the foundation and we are looking at millions of millions of dollars that will come just to try to keep it every year after every monsoon season. Yeah. Yeah. I know in, uh, on the, along the Rio Grande as well, like the, uh, the wake from the border patrol boats is causing the river to undercut the foundation of the wall. Uh, yeah. Which is, yeah, fantastic uh, on the part of the government. Good work. And yeah, Eric, where can people follow you and, and your efforts if they want to, if they want to follow along online and, and maybe see some pictures of the border and hear more about what you're doing? Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Uh, we do have a website, the Sierra Club Borderlands. You can learn all about the waivers there. Uh, you can learn a lot of the work that we've been doing in the past. We are part of a larger coalition of environmental uh, related border organizations. We work with people all the way from California through Texas, but mostly here in Arizona. And uh, we have our social media, Sierra Club Borderlands. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram all of the different, we have a YouTube channel as well. And you can see some of the videos of the documenting that, that we do. Uh, we're able to go down to the border, document with drones, so people can actually look at the irony of the whole project. We do uh, also outings that we take people out into the desert to, to get familiar with the issues themselves. We do cleanup. Uh, at the local rivers and collaborate with other organizations, all kinds of work. So if people in the audience is based here in Arizona, they're welcome to join us to some of these outings or activities that we do with the community. Uh, we are going to do an announcement probably in the next month because since 2019, uh, Sierra Club in collaboration with the Southern Border Community Coalition through the federal government, uh, for the legal use of funds of the 284 and 2808 funds, which were funds that were originally allocated for the military and drug-related programs that were used to border wall construction. So we sued the government and we're about to settle. 
on this and we are hoping that we're going to get good results on environmental remediation and wildlife passages along the southern border. Oh, great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know there are a lot of lawsuits, like individual tribes sued the government as yep. well for that. And yep. so um, we'll have to do a, a lawsuit roundup uh, mm -hmm. one day and have you back. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Thank you for joining us and, and sharing some of your experiences along the border. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, I'll see, uh, talk to you soon. Yep. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.